0: Okay, I'm Rocco, and I'm an alcoholic. And my sobriety date is May the 1st of 1984. Uh, yeah, long ago. Uh, I, I was born in Lubbock, Texas in 1941. And, you know, the, the Lubbock, Texas that I grew up in was very white and very fundamental Christian, and I learned early on that I hated that. And uh, I, I'll get to this later, but I can remember when I when I finally ended up on the program, and you know, you got a uh, guy right there believing a power greater than myself. I mean, I had to do it, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And fortunately, fortunately, the program's about spirituality, not religion. Uh, So, uh, and yeah, I came from the the middle of the middle class. I mean, you can't get any middle. Uh, My mama was a Catholic from Mississippi uh, whose basic child rearing tool was shame. And uh, who was terrified of being uh, thought of as white trash, and my my dad was a very nice guy uh, and a wuss, and he was he was as scared of her as I was. Uh, so really, uh, what my 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 basic growing up story is about is about me and my mama having had it. And, uh, she nearly always won. Uh, but, you know, I, I I think I need to say at this point, I listen to other people tell their stories in here and what's, they're their growing up and what their parents were like. And, and uh, the fact is, my whole life was, you know, I, I was well raised, I was fed, I was sheltered, educated. It uh, it was, it wasn't, they were, they were, they were just fine. Uh, you know, I, I can remember when I was, uh, first sobered up, I was, I was in Houston, and I used to go to these meetings over at a, a church over in uh, River Oaks, the nice part of town. And these River Oaks housewives would come in, and they, you could not get good help. And it would, would, they'd go back out and drink. And I would think, God, that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard of. But, you know, I I guess I'm the same way with my mama. Uh, I just hated her, you know, and there it was. And and it drove me crazy, and probably half the people in here would say, God, you lucky stiff. She was a great mama. But there it is. By the time I was 12 years old, uh, I... And I really know about shame. Uh, And uh, by the time I'm a teenager, I also know, you will remember the Catholic Church, and I went to school with the nuns, I know I'm going to hell. I absolutely know that it's going to happen. There is no way to avoid it, and so I might as well just go ahead and just do it. There it was. (laughs) And also at age 12, uh, I joined the Boy Scouts. And in the Boy Scouts, I learned about Cigarettes, sex, and whiskey, <laughs> and and you know uh, the what could uh, the Boy Scouts are wonderful at least the Boy Scouts in of were because there was all of that stuff uh, and I can remember cigarettes and whiskey particularly the first time I tried them I thought they were awful but I knew I had to do it because it was bad all right and that's What else do you need? Uh, So I got pretty good at them. And the sex, of course, was always wonderful. I just didn't know how to do it. Uh, By the time I got to the 10th grade, it was very obvious that I was not going to graduate from high school in Love, Texas. Either I was going to kill my mother or she was going to kill me that that's what was going to happen and my father finally stepped up and did something he sent me off to school uh, up in New England Phillips Extra Academy in Extra New Hampshire uh, and that is where the polished and suave that you who know me scene <laughs> seen comes from that uh, it, it was actually the greatest time of my life I, I loved it I was I was away from home. It was okay to like school. It was okay to like reading. It was just everything about it was fucking wonderful. And I now realize that I I really was an alcoholic because uh, it was instant getting expelled if you drank, that was really about the only rule they had. You could smoke, but no drinking. And I had three times while I was there, I had a chance to drink, and I drank all three times. <laughs> you know, and I never even thought about what I was putting at risk. And in fact, one time I got caught. And talk about lucky the guy just didn't turn us in. And and it never occurred to me, really, that, that, that maybe I had... A, Maybe that wasn't smart, you know, was not smart to the point of maybe being obsessive behavior, but it did not occur. So I left there I came back to the University of Texas for undergraduate and law school. That was great fun. And because I had uh, been to a very upscale prep school, I didn't need to study, so I so I to fraternity and drank and did other, you know, the things you do when you drink, but but really, that was about it, and uh, that got me through undergraduate school. And, and things would happen like uh, somebody talked me into being, uh, running for student body vice president, and I got elected, and the president immediately flunked out. So I was student body president, and I hadn't (laughs) done anything. Then, that was the year that uh, the University of Mississippi was integrated, and President Eisenhower sent the troops in, and there was a great to-do about that. And so somebody talked me into, uh, we were going to have a stand-in in in front of the tower uh, in support of the Constitution and in fellowship with our fellow students in Mississippi. Now, that sounds pretty innocent, right? But my mother from Mississippi knew what that was about. It was me being for integration, and it worked. It worked. She went to bed for three days. She felt so bad about that, and... And uh, I got my picture in the New York Times. I mean, life was, I was somebody for, for you know, a, a brief minute. I mean, but it just, I fell into it. Uh, and I remember when I was, was, was back in college, I can remember one rainy Saturday night sitting in my car over by a little park here and drinking and thinking how really, what a strange coincidence it was that every time I had a really bad event, my relationship with the girl would go south, I'd been drinking. And that was really strange. I mean, I thought it was strange. I mean, what kind of coincidence? What do you think the odds on that are? Uh, and that's pretty much my grasp of what drinking did. And uh, so I I left law school, I got married, Uh, I ended up with a big Houston law firm, Uh, and that was luck, because my grades weren't good enough to get me there, but uh, a bunch of things, about three years after I got out, there I was. Uh, I wanted children, we had children, there were no problems having children, the children were good children, I mean everything just worked out and and I never it never occurred to me that things wouldn't work out it is only in later life that I listen to people and see things holy shit that was a miracle Uh, so there I was made partner in the law firm. What I did was, was I, I did political stuff. If you wanted a bill passed or a bill not passed or if you needed a state agency to do something that's, you know, government is a fertile field for lawyer employment uh, and uh, that's what I did. So, and also government is a fertile field for drinking and uh, you know, you're autonomous. I mean, you call, your, you set your own hours, you decide when you're going to show up. So, so man, I was free. Free. And uh, i would concluded by that time, by the 1980, that I was an alcoholic. And that was good news because I didn't need to try not to drink. Because I was an alcoholic, and alcoholics drink. So, What's to worry about? Uh, and that worked for for a while, and then it didn't work. And you know, they, there's there's a lot of data to the effect that that, that uh, with the, with most alcoholics, your job is the last thing to go. You know, you let everything, you let the family go south. You do, but but you your job is your identity. You know, I'm Rocco Sanford. I'm a lawyer, and 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 so you hold on to that and you hold that together that's certainly what I did Uh, and so there I was really alcoholic and very successful professionally and drinking like a well like an alcoholic Uh, and you know as a matter of fact uh, it went along and I was God you know that feeling you all know it you're miserable you're sick at your soul (sighs) I'm not gonna to drink today, okay? I'm just not. And that would almost always get me to noon. And uh, you know, and, and yeah, that's just, you gotta feel bad about yourself, and I did. And I need to say at this point, I was so lucky about drugs. The drugs in my day and time were marijuana, speed, amphetamines, and cocaine. Well, it turned out that marijuana just made me paranoid as hell, so I didn't do that. Uh, And what the the speed and the the coke did was you could drink forever. (laughs) And and, uh, that's really what I used them for was sort of extenders. (laughs) And uh, so there I was motoring along. So so the the next point... The next point, after after what it was like, is what happened. Well, what happened was that idiot woman to whom I was married.
1: Who,
0: you know the old line about I spilled more than you ever drank? That woman, she could not drink. She threw me out. And... Uh, uh, that was bad. And then about three days, I was on a Sunday, I remember, and about three days later, my best friend in life and, and the guy that I did all my hunting and fishing with showed up at my office and, and he just barely drank too, but he he, did, he and my secretary did a textbook intervention. I mean, right straight out of the, and one of the things you do is you you tell the person he's got a problem, you get other people to tell him he's got a problem, Then you keep him moving. You don't let him think and get to say, well, you know, I'll do something about it in the morning. You keep him moving, and they kept me moving, and by lunch, okay, I'll go to treatment. Well, I was friends because of my politics with Bob Bullock, and Bob Bullock who at that time was the state controller, uh, was a bad-ass drunk. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew he'd been off to this treatment center, care unit of Orange, and he'd come back sober and it was two years later and he was still sober. They fucking cured him. And if they could cure him, I was not a problem. So uh, I called him after lunch and and I got his secretary on the phone and I said, Uh, is he there? She said, no, he's in a meeting. Well, when he gets out, would you ask him to call me? I don't know what my voice sounded like, but within five minutes, he was on the phone. He hey, I had enough, huh? You ready to stove her up? <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, yes, Bob, I am. And I kind of wanted to go. Yeah, you want to go to the care unit of Orangeville. You sit there. Uh, I'll fix this. And about five minutes after that, he called back and said, okay, they got a spot. You got to get to the John Wayne, Orange County Airport, the John Wayne Airport, and tell them when you're coming and they'll pick you up and you're done. So there I was and I still had my toothbrush because you remember I'd been thrown out of my house and so there was stuff in there. I was in good shape, so off to the airport and off to California. And I remember, he talked about <laughs> luck. The The... the 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 medical policy for that law firm paid for everything. I flew out there first class, drinking, <laughs> and uh, then uh, uh, the person picked me up. And I I remember the the woman that picked me up who was a volunteer with the facility, and so. I go to get in the car and she says, Okay, it's gonna be about a thirty minute drive. You wanna stop for a beer? Uh-huh. And I, Holy shit, this is gonna be okay. This is so uh <laughs> and we didn't. That was the last drink I had with on that plane. But uh there I was at the care unit of Orange and I, I can remember Bullock had also said, Look, you think you think that this is the worst day of your life, and you think that you are never going to have fun ever again, but it is so miserable that you're going to do it. And let me tell you that within 72 hours, you will have really, really laughed. Oh, shit, Bob, this is horrible, but I'm going to do it. Uh, well, it turned out they really didn't have a bed. They had The place had a hospital wing and a rehab wing and what they did was they just put me in a bed and another another guy that didn't up we, they put us over in the hospital wing well the thing about the hospital wing is those people were supposed to lay there comatose until they got over having overdosed and then when they got them up and could move around they'd move them over to the other wing so they, they weren't being as careful about our behavior and uh, so we're sitting in there the guy the, the guy that I'm with, who's from the L.A. area, they bring a guy in. And he said, holy shit, that's Martin whoever. Martin whoever is the premier upscale drug dealer for uh, Malibu. I mean, he is somebody. Well, he was just laying there. I mean, a sack of potatoes. So... Uh, I can't remember, there, there were other people walking in. So we figure what we're going to do. There was a guy, there was a guy there who they called Batman, but he didn't, he looked like the Joker, not like Batman. <laughs> he had the most evil smile you've ever seen in your life. And so what we're going to do. Is lift one of those little doctor's coats and a stethoscope and put Batman in the chair beside this guy's bed so that when he comes to, he's going to know he's died and gone to hell because look at his doctor.
1: <laughs> at,
0: it didn't work but the only reason it didn't work was because Batman had so much fun going around being a doctor that we got caught <laughs> we could ever but you know I mean we were having a pretty good time uh, so uh so there were there I am uh the uh you know the function of of a treatment center really is to feed you, give you a place to sleep, and keep you busy between AA meetings. I mean, that's all the treatment center does, and this place was pretty upscale, but that's what it did, and now I mean, the, the, the keeping you busy was like we had lessons in how to wash your own clothes. Do not mix the whites with the darks, and and you know, we had classes in that and other stuff, and uh, we... It was fun. We had a good time. And uh, I can't remember this one. This, this, They divided you up into the, the class. The people that had come in when you did were kind of your homeroom. And, and a couple of times a day, you'd go to this little homeroom meeting and, and you'd talk about something. This woman in there had had... She had a, a, something had happened at her house, and she, her husband was behaving very poorly, but she was locked up with us, and she was just really kind of weepy about it. So part of the deal from the, the counselor, and the place had good counselors. This was a good place in spite of the stories I'm telling with, The counselor said, okay, we'll, we'll help this lady. You all, let's think of things that we can do to help her. What should she do? And my guy says, Okay. What we do, the place had a couple of vans to haul us to a What we do is we hotwire one of the vans, we drive over there, we steal all her stuff back, and then we bring it back over here and put it in her room. And the counselor said, "No, that's, that's uh, there's other advice. It's who else is who else has got yeah." An and uh, so there I was. So I, I, you know, I got out of there. I graduated. I got back to Houston uh and like I said I had I had you know they they talk about about hidden bottom hidden bottom I think is realizing you have no alternative that's that's really what it is and and I would also say while I'm on that that uh people talk about sharing your experience strength and hope that's not what we do we share our experience strength and a opinion. My opinion is that hitting bottom is realizing you have no alternative. Uh, And I I had that figured out. So I I was doing I I, I was doing everything they told me. One thing they told me was to go to lots of meetings. So I did. And I got a huge amount of help uh, from friends who weren't alcoholics it turned out, but they were willing to help. Uh, I think one of the things that I really remember is uh, early on, I really wanted to have a spiritual experience. You know, they talk about having, you know, I wanted a spiritual experience, a, a, this, the real thing, not just understanding that i So I'm at this meeting, it's about four months sober, and we're holding hands to say the Lord's Prayer. I'm feeling it, okay. I'm feeling it. This guy was still drunk, really, and he had the shakes horribly. And this guy was about to get his one-year chip, so they were both excited. <laughs> I'm feeling it. Uh, so that was the, <laughs> the closest I ever came, but it was, it wasn't bad. Uh, and then another thing that they they tell you they, they told me to get get as many uh get more than one sponsor get several sponsors now I think their thought was that that you know you call your sponsor and you don't get him so you call another sponsor and you don't get him then you call the third sponsor and each time you're working out what you're gonna say what the problem is and how you're gonna well by the third guy you've worked it out you figured out your problem and you can go <laughs> on down the road so when they call you back you like, oh, never mind I got this. Uh but what I did, I got me a sponsor. I got me a, a sponsor. I was 43 at the time, and I got me a sponsor that was about my age. Uh, and then I got me an old fart sponsor to, to really, you know, one of might need help. Well, what happened? Uh, one of the things I'd been doing uh, when coming back from, flying back from Austin a couple of three times a week, was there was a topless place on the way into town. So I would stop there, and uh, you know, regular customers get to know the staff. <laughs> and uh, I, had, I had I had done something for, for one of the one of the dancer slash waitresses, and so one. I, I, this time I get four or five months over. She calls up on Friday afternoon and says, "Look." I have scored some tickets to Wayne Newton. Now, don't uh, Wayne Newton? I mean, it's Wayne it's fucking Wayne Newton. Uh, I ticket to Wayne Newton, and I got some cocaine, and and I'm gonna pay you back for what you did helping me. Yeah, I'd helped her with a custody problem or something, and uh, so you know and. I've been kicked out of the house, and uh, this is great. But I did, I did call my sponsor. Now I called the young sponsor. I didn't call him. And I, I, Bobby, what you know? This is this is this is okay, right? If I go, if I don't do any of the cocaine and don't drink, it'll be okay, huh? And he didn't think so. He really didn't think so. And, and he explained to me why it was a really. Horrible idea, as a matter of fact. And I, I, I believed him. So I said, okay, well, I, you're right. And uh, so what would... We'll I'll just meet you over at, at, at Christ Church uh, at the 8 o'clock meeting. I said, no, I've got a date. You go to the
1: meeting. <laughs> well,
0: so there was that. Then there, there was another guy that that, that had... I didn't like him very much, but he, he was a fucking alcoholic, if ever there was one. And he finally tried to commit suicide, and like all good alcoholics, he'd fuck that up. And <laughs> I had a couple of friends say, well, you gotta go. You got to go talk to Dan. I never turned, i, oh, well, I got to tell you, I hated, hated, hated the cliches, you know. First things first, easy does it. One day at a time. Keep it. I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, I go to see, you. and the hospital. And he's sitting there. I'm sitting there, and he's finally he says, "You got? It. I don't know, Rocco. What? What should I do? <laughs> well, you just have to let go and let God." <laughs> well I don't, I don't know I don't know if I believe in God well you just have to fake it till you make it I mean, it turns out there is a cliche for every purpose you can carry on I don't know how long a conversation is. just putting the cliches out so, you know that guy that guy died the other day but he was he stayed sober he stayed sober for for you know, 30 some odd years and uh you let, well, I'll tell you what that proves, it proves that if the person's ready to hear you, it doesn't matter what you say, and if the person's not ready, it doesn't matter what you say, because you know he, he listened to me. Can you believe it? And and I guess he let go and let God.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, another thing I remember that, that 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 for about six months sober, I'm I'm walking down the street. Congress Avenue, in the morning, weekday, and there's a beer truck. And the beer truck has got on its side this picture of a Budweiser, can of Budweiser, sitting in some ice with the little sweat beads running down the can. And I could taste that beer. I mean, the taste in my mouth of beer. I've never had that happen before or since. But that's how good it was. But I didn't drink, and I didn't drink because I had finally figured out I lost a card. God, I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't drink because I knew that the alternative would be worse. I knew that, and I just didn't want to feel, I didn't want that feeling. So, uh, So that got me through the first year. And uh, then I went back with uh, my wife. And it turned out that that was a bad idea. (laughs) That we needed to not be married. And the truth is, we'd have probably figured that out several years earlier if it wasn't for the drinking. And they thought, well, it's the drinking. It wasn't the drinking. It was, uh, <laughs> we just needed to not be married. And, you know, she's still around. And I, we're still friends. Uh, but we're not married, thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, what I've really learned in that first nine months, which is where for me it all was, was one, the people kept telling me, It's a selfish program. If you don't drink, it has to be for yourself. If you're trying to not drink for somebody else, it's not going to work. And, you know, I I, I truly believe that. Uh, There was another guy that said, there are three times you need to go to a meeting. One is when you want to go. Two is when you don't want to go. And three is when you're not sure whether you want to go And uh, I pretty much practiced that, and uh, I guess it worked. There was another guy that, that he really thought it was important to have what he called a discipline meeting. And that was a meeting that you went to. You did not let something get in the way of you going to that meeting. I mean... Wednesday night at 8 o'clock or whenever what it, but there was a meeting that you went to uh, even if you knew you didn't need a meeting because that was your discipline meeting and, and uh, I did that and I, I, I it, you know it worked uh, another thing I really understood is that the, for me the most important thing there was was not drinking Any day I didn't drink was a good day. The reason it was the most important thing was because I wasn't going to be able to do anything else that mattered if I started drinking. Uh, I also found out that the old farts were no help at all. An old fart was anybody with a year's sobriety. I mean, that guy was interested in kind of as a museum piece, but it had nothing to do with me. What had to do with me was the guy that was 48 to 72 hours ahead of me because he knew what was going to happen next. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that really... Uh, I really think that really helped. Another thing I picked up was the... the, the good. You got. You go to any lengths. You see that. You go. I'll go to any lengths. Blah blah blah. Well, one thing people will tell you around here when you show up is that God, you feel so much better in the morning when you when you don't drink. That it's just so much better. Well, I didn't think that was true. I hated getting up before, and I hated getting up after. And getting up is not fun. And so I found this. in the morning meeting in Houston, Monday through Friday. And I started going to it. And my theory was that if I had hauled my ass out of bed, gotten dressed, gotten to the meeting, I wasn't going to drink that day. I had too much invested (laughs) in staying sober. And, you know, it worked. Also, that that 6.30 meeting was... uh, it was a soap opera. There was about twenty of us, and in any given day there'd be fifteen there. And you know, it was constantly: was Ellen going to leave that old fart? Was John going to get the job? Was, was uh, Mark going to buy the car? And uh, it was, it was, you know, daily fun stuff. And. Uh, I remember there was, a, there, was a, uh, there was a woman that showed up about the same time I did. In fact, a woman and a guy. And the woman's name was Elaine, and the guy's name was Stanley. And after about a month, Stanley went back out. And uh, we all know it's a, it's a, it's a program of uh, you got to want it yourself. You can't be having other people make you well. Eileen got three of us in her car and went over to Stanley's apartment and knocked on the door until he finally answered. Stanley, get your ass out of here. Come on, we're going to meet you. Come, and get, come get get your pants on, get in the car, we're going to the meeting. And the old postal club in, in uh in Houston, one thing about a town speaker's Houston, there's always a meeting. So we dragged Stanley out of his apartment and took him to a meeting. And it worked. I uh, he sobered up again. Uh and I, I don't recommend it, but it was there it was. And uh I also remember uh there was another another uh another person that that uh was showed up about the same time I did. Uh, and she uh I had this picture that I was going to do a year, okay? I'm going to do a year, and there was a brand-new downtown Houston hotel that looked right down Buffalo Bayou. It was great. It was really scenic. And after I got a year sober, I was going to check. It was the Soap Hotel. It was a French hotel. I was going to check into the hotel with a bottle of Bombay gin, and they were going to bring me ice, and I was going to drink. So the gym was gone. And then, you know, I could go, I'd just go back and do another year sober. I don't know what, but that was my plan. And then this other person went out and she came back real quick, I mean, you know, a day later. And as soon as I, as soon as I heard her talk, what was that, I, I mean, it was just like, what was I thinking? Where did that come from, the devil? Cunning, kind of baffling, powerful—I don't know—but as soon as as soon as she told me what it felt, I, I thought, of course, of course, it's awful. So I always always felt she kind of did, she did that for me. And uh, anyway, that's how it worked. Uh, doing stuff without drinking was was really, really—I knew it was going to be horrible. I knew for one thing. In addition to my. Idiot wife having left uh, that without drinking I was never going to get laid ever it was not <laughs> and uh, I also it, it turns out that wasn't true you can you can, you can get laid sober. And I also, I remember, how am I ever going to just talk to somebody? You know, just talk, just bullshit, and we'll talk about, the, how about them astros and that kind of thing. And uh, That wasn't going to be able to do that. And it turns out you can do that sober. That was a fascinating piece of data. And also, the fact is that everybody didn't drink like me, because I just assumed... Uh, I just assumed it was true. And I also remember that there was this meeting that was over by Rice University, and all these Rice professors went to it, and they would, that we would discuss things that, well, for instance, you remember the movie Back to the Future? Yeah. Okay, if you go back to the future and drink... Have you broken your sobriety? (laughs) We spent an hour on that. It was good. (laughs) You know? And and, uh, we we mostly concluded you would have. But but still, uh, so there was a lot of, of, you know, just kind of fun stuff like that. Uh, So uh, what it's like now. Uh, it's really good. One of the things that happened uh, is Ann showed up and uh, that was like 25 years ago and for reasons that I still do not understand uh, she lived in San Francisco, she moved to Austin, she moved in with me and and it was fun. Following that uh, both daughters moved back to Austin from California, and that also included the granddaughter. So, guess what my ex-wife did? She moved to Austin, which meant that there was, and the whole family had reassembled on top of her. Which is not what she signed up for. I want to tell you, but she's been a very good sport about it. Uh, so, I guess you know what it's like now. Things are good, and really nothing bad has ever happened to me i mean you know the the all of the stuff that did you sit in a meeting and you hear people oh god this happened and that happened and they they they, they have happened i just I, I don't know most of the people i hang out with are program people you know uh, i got some other friends like the guy that did sold sent me off to drug school, but mostly it's, it's people that, that <laughs> hang, around, hang out in here. I still go to more meetings a week than not. Uh, I don't think I'm going to drink, but... You know, the reason I drank was to feel <coughs> different. I mean, that's why I drank. And... I still want to feel different, and I'm still an addict. And so, what I do is go for a substitute. I can obsess easily on something other than drinking. Uh, my two really favorites, of course, are cigarettes and porn. But there are of, there are plenty of others. Uh, and uh, I'll I tell you what I really didn't get was the, the the part where it says you know alcohol is but a symptom of our disease and I didn't understand that the, 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 the disease is addiction and you know being an addict is kind of like playing whack-a-mole I mean you yeah. pow, up comes the new oh let's try that one yeah. and, and so so you know you gotta keep I got to keep, for me, constantly paying attention. And you know, I want to want to say, uh, you, you hear a lot of people in here. You'll say somebody will say something. Like, we alcoholics, blah 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 blah, do whatever. And I think really most of that is we humans. Uh, nobody, nobody wants sadness or shame or anger are all of those things, emotions that are just not fun. And we know a magic trick. Because chemicals will make you feel different. That's just it happens. And you know how many times have I heard a normie say something like, Ooh, I don't think I'll have another drink. I'm starting to feel it. Well (laughs) (laughs) and Uh, you know emotions are harder than feeling nothing but if you feel nothing you don't feel the good (coughs) stuff either and so I think I really think that this is a better deal it really is and that's the end of of the last card (laughs)